Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. We started a new sermon series. We're going to be going back to Acts in a couple weeks, but right now we're settling in as we begin the fall on this idea of our life with Jesus. And I defined this last week, and I'm going to let you in on what it is. Our life with Jesus is very similar, perhaps, to other things that you might have heard in regard to our relationship with God. In fact, relationship with God was one of those synonyms that we are called uh, to have a personal relationship with God. And it's through that relationship that we receive from him the blessings that he intends for us, that we receive the equipping that he has for us. In fact, all of our ministry one to another and our mission in the world and everything that we do for God has to come from the overflow of our relationship with him. And so when we talk about our life with Jesus, we're talking about being intentional about that relationship with God that he has called us to. Another synonym is that, that intimacy with Christ, that closeness with Christ, that he is always there leaning into us, but how often are we nurturing, intentional about that relationship, that closeness with him? And if we're being perfectly honest, we want to lean close to Jesus when bad things happen, when traumas occur in life when we receive bad news, when we're put in a situation that we know we can't possibly overcome or, or tackle ourselves, those are the moments perhaps when we recognize that need that we have to be close to Jesus. But we're not called to only be close to Jesus in times such as those. We're called to always be close to Jesus. And if we are intentional about nurturing that closeness with Jesus, we're going to be amazed at what God can do in and through us. And so this is what we've been talking about. In fact, last week I mentioned that our life with Jesus has three characteristics that has more than three characteristics, but these are the three that I focused on last week, that our life with Jesus is all-encompassing. That's the first one. This is something we don't often think about. Or even if we intellectually know this, it's not the way we live. You know, we might say that, you know, God, I know God needs to be my top priority out of all these important things. Or that, you know, in the, in the pie chart of my life, with all the various compartments of my life, work and family and hobbies and friends, you know, God is in there and he has the biggest piece. But God never asks for the biggest piece of your pie chart, the top priority in your list. God, your relationship with him, transcends every compartment. It's to transcend every aspect of your life. It's to be all-encompassing. God needs to be Lord of your life. You need to have life with Jesus on the job. Life with Jesus at home with your family. Life with Jesus in engaging with people in a, a server in a restaurant, a cashier at, at, uh, at Winn-Dixie. Uh, every aspect of our life our relationship with God, our intimacy with Christ, our life with Jesus must transcend. It's all-encompassing. It's also, the second aspect is that it's modeled after Jesus' life with the Father. 
And we looked at scriptures last week, and I'll tell you, it's very humbling when we think about this. We are called to be in relationship to Christ in such a way that that relationship mirrors the relationship we see in the New Testament between Jesus and his Father. He was sent by his Father. He's empowered by his Father. He's in close relationship with his Father. And a lot of the ways in which our relationship with Jesus is portrayed in Scripture is very comparable to the way in which Jesus' relationship with the Father is portrayed in the Scripture. And so what a wonderful thing that this life with Jesus that we have is modeled after Jesus' own relationship with the Father. And my last point last week was that our life with Jesus makes the Christian life possible. So conversely, if we're not nurturing our life with Jesus, the Christian life, the life that we're called to, is not possible. That doesn't mean we can't show up at church. It doesn't mean once in a while we can't crack open our Bible. It doesn't mean we can't talk to somebody about Jesus. But are we being empowered by him? Are we effective in these things? All the things that God calls us to do, he never asks us to go on our own strength and go do that for me. But instead, out of the overflow of that relationship, these things are not only possible, but you will watch God work in and through you as you do them. But we must nurture this life with Jesus. Today, as you might have gathered from my prayer, I want to focus in on one characteristic, one aspect of this life with Jesus that we're supposed to have, and that's dependence on him. Our life with Jesus must be characterized by dependence on him. And the funny thing is, this is, I know we don't like this term dependence, right? We, uh, we're a people that values independence. But we, we, we shouldn't be surprised by this. We're called to be with God in relationship. And you may not realize this, but all relationships require some level of dependence, don't they? I depend on my wife. She depends on me. I assume you depend on your spouses. Our children, our grandchildren depend on us. We depend on our friends, and our friends depend on us. That's why it hurts so bad when you know, you're moving and none of your friends want to come help you move. Now, when anybody lets you down that you're in relationship with, it hurts. Because they're supposed, you're supposed to be able to depend on them, and they're supposed to be able to depend on you. Dependence is part of relationship, and so it should be no wonder, no surprise, that in our relationship with God, there must be dependence. Now, of course, when we're talking about our life with Jesus, dependence on him looks a little different than dependence on some of the other people that we're in relationship with within our life, right? Uh, if anything, we should be uh, more excited, more trusting, lean in even more to our dependence on God because of who God is. Think of some of these things. God knows everything. He is perfectly wise. He knows exactly what we need. And not only that, he's the only one who's even able to provide that which we need. His power can overcome our shortcomings. Uh, he is altogether trustworthy. In fact, he never fails us. If never fails at all at anything. He's in the process of transforming us, of sanctifying us. And these are just some of God's qualifications, if you will. Uh, those aspects that clue us into why we ought to depend on him. And of course, while we're called to be dependable 
in our relationship with God, that works a little differently also than other relationships, right? Because God's a perfect being. He doesn't need us, and yet how humbling it is that a, a God who doesn't need to depend on us still entrusts us with important tasks for which we must be found reliable. All of our relationships require dependence. Why would we think it any different in our relationship with God, our life with Jesus? I want to read a passage for you. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start in the first verse. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it will be up on the screen as well. Second Corinthians, not First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter 12. And as you might guess, this is a passage about dependence. And it's a passage about dependence from somebody who we don't often think of in terms of needing to depend on others, at least in terms of our New Testament examples. This is the Apostle Paul talking. And here's what he says in Second Corinthians 12. He says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, that I am strong. I know what some of you are thinking. Boy, wasn't Paul a weird guy? I'm not going to delight in my weaknesses. I don't want to delight in insults and in difficulties. We're not people who cherish this. Why on earth would Paul cherish this? I want to talk to you about a couple things here. Paul is not boasting in himself, but one of the things that he says here is that if he were, if he were just to give you his resume, if he were just to share with you the facts, you'd be amazed. In fact, when it comes to earthly boasting, the things that we credit to ourselves, that we've accomplished, that are noteworthy, Paul's list is multiple pages. Think about it. Even before he came to faith in Christ, you know, Paul was a leader commissioned by the Jewish ruling council to go and to, to lead the charge in persecuting Christians. He had that authority because he was a notable person. Other places in scripture, we see that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He studied under uh, Gamaliel, one of the major teachers of that day that is still honored by Jewish people 2,000 years later. 
and he studied under him. When he came to faith in Christ, he was one of the few who saw Jesus after he had been resurrected. He wrote most of the New Testament. In fact, in Peter's letter, Peter equates Paul's writings with the scriptures. And so here, the whole Old Testament and Paul's writings in his own lifetime are recognized as being on the same level, the word of God. This is a man who probably led more people to Jesus than anybody else at his time, planted more churches, established more leaders. He was busy. He suffered for Jesus. He was shipwrecked. He was jailed. He was whipped. He was stoned. He eventually gave his life for Christ. All of these things would have been seen as notable, as amazing, in the same way that we might think of it now, looking back 2,000 years. But Paul didn't boast in any of these things. And because it's, he recognized something, and God helped him to recognize something, which we see in this passage. That in order to accomplish those things, in order to be effective at what God has called him to, it has absolutely nothing to do with Paul. Absolutely nothing to do with Paul. And this, 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 this example from his life that he shares is this. It says, therefore, this is the second part of verse 7. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, in order to keep me from boasting in my resume, in order to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Boy, I'd love to know what this is. I, you know, a lot of people speculate as to what it is. It was a physical ailment, most likely. Some think it was Paul's going, his blindness that was overcoming him during this time. We don't know. But whatever it was, it was enough that, it, that Paul related it as a messenger from Satan. He said that he pleaded, he begged God three times, please take this from me. And God was not willing to do so. Why? Because through this, God was helping Paul come to a very important, a necessary revelation. And here's what he said in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, I don't care who you are, even if you're the Apostle Paul, even if you have a great resume, even if you've accomplished much, we cannot possibly do the tasks that God has called us to do in our own strength, by our own power, by our own cleverness, our own wisdom. We are just too limited. Human beings cannot do the things of God, but God can do the things of God through human beings. And Paul was taught this lesson, that in recognizing and embracing his weakness, only then could he get out of the way and allow God to do amazing things in and through him. We are called to be dependent on God. And when you think about all the things that Paul accomplished, none of those things that are notable, none of those things we read about are because Paul was such a great guy, or he was so skilled, or he was so eloquent, but because he recognized his need for Jesus to be in charge, and that it's by his power that these things got done. And you know, when you read through the writings of Paul, 
Uh, there's hardly anybody else that we see in the New Testament, at least that we have evidence for, who experienced this life with Jesus in such a profound way as Paul did. He wasn't even one of the original disciples. He didn't walk with Jesus during Jesus's lifetime. And even so, we see this amazing closeness, this amazing relationship between Paul and Jesus, this life with Jesus, and is characterized completely by dependence on him. I mentioned this earlier that we are a people that don't like dependence. We value independence. We resist dependence every chance we get. Here's, here's some examples. We, men don't typically ask for directions. Have you, have you heard this one? It's a stereotype for a reason. Uh, most of us are that way. Uh, thank God for GPS. Now nobody has to know when we're asking for directions, but we don't. Uh, we, we're going to get there. We're going to figure it out. We, we just got to keep the course. We're going to figure it out. We are a, a DIY society now, right? We're a do-it-yourself society. It was amazing about 15, 20 years ago when all these channels started popping up on the TV with all these home makeover and, you know, buy a house and fix it, flip a house and all these things. Forget, the, forget these people. You could do this. You could do this yourself. We became even more a DIY society. We don't want to feel helpless. We don't want to feel defenseless. We don't want to feel uh, unable as a society. We don't want to be dependent. We don't like to admit our limitations. We often live like we don't have any. Uh, how many times do we know we just can't do something, but we try to do it anyway because we're just determined not to give in to our limitations. Our society has a hard time recognizing the authority of individuals, the authorities of groups, and often has no hesitation in tearing down those in authority, right? These are just some of the examples that show that we don't like dependence on other people. We want to be independent. And we know that it should be different in our life with Jesus, right? As Christians, we've read the Bible, we've heard enough sermons, we, we recognize that, okay, we're not, we, we know we're supposed to depend on God. But we still live, even in this life, even with our Christian life, even within the church, we continue to live as though we prefer independence. Or perhaps we really do prefer independence than dependence on God. In our life with Jesus, here are some areas that we need to recognize, need to commit to dependence on God. Depending on Jesus for my salvation. I think we all got this. We think, yeah, you know, I know this. I couldn't attain my own salvation. I think there's nuances here that we still struggle with. But we need to depend on Jesus for our salvation. Jesus paid for our salvation. We didn't earn it. We know that, right? That's the gospel. I sure hope you know that. That we did not acquire our own salvation. In fact, we had a problem that we caused that we couldn't fix for ourselves. If not for Jesus dying on the cross and raising, rising from the dead, we would not have the opportunity to be saved. And on the cross, he paid the price for all of our sins, past, present, future, every wrong action, every wrong thought, every everything, every, the rebellion in our hearts against God, he paid it all. And we put our, when we commit our lives to him, when he is our Lord, when we believe what God had done in him for us, we're saved. We stand right before God because of what Jesus did. I think we have an easy time with that. I think we're here today because of that. 
Here's where I think we start to miss the mark. Because depending on Jesus for our salvation is more than just recognizing that Jesus paid for our salvation, but we also need to recognize that Jesus preserves our salvation. That we continue with our salvation because of Jesus. We can't add to it, and we can't subtract from it, and we can't pay Jesus back for it. And yet I think some of the ways in which we live or we talk, uh, we don't really fully get this sometimes. Here's Paul writing to the Galatians in uh, Galatians 3, 2 through 3. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Paul was writing to uh, a group of churches throughout this region of Galatia, this region we've actually read about lately uh, as we looked at Paul's first missionary journey. These are people who heard the gospel and responded. They were glad to receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But then this group of people came from Judea and said, you have to also keep the law. If you don't keep the law, you're not saved. And they bought into this lie, exchanging the gospel that Paul had preached and now believing this. And so now they received this gift by grace, but now they're working hard to keep it as if that was necessary. And Paul's like, do you realize how ridiculous this is? That you received this gift of grace by God, but now you're trying to work to earn it. I think a lot of times we do the same. I think a lot of times we forget that we are children of God. That we are fully and perfectly loved by God. That there's nothing we can do that God's going to take that away from us. But instead, when we sin, what do we do? We act like Adam and Eve in the garden and we hide from God. We stop coming to church. We don't pray or read the Bible. And all of a sudden we think that God must think of us so lowly. Or that he can't possibly love us. Or that he doesn't, he doesn't like me right now. And yet, none of that is true. Is it that we receive this gift of grace, our salvation, but now we have to be good enough, we have to work hard enough, we have to, we have to earn it with God, and when we don't, then we feel that there's this distance. I'll tell you, in my own life, there's times when I kind of envision it like this, that I'm here and Jesus is there, and between me and Jesus is a giant mountain of my sin, and it feels like he's so far away. But here's the thing, Jesus is never far away, but I allow my mind to push him far away because of those things I feel guilty about. We can't do this because there's nothing in our life that changes the fact that Jesus has paid it all. And because of that, we have this relationship with God that he is not going to take away from us and that if we push him away, we'll never receive the blessing of him walking alongside of us, dealing with our sin. That, and every blessing that he intends for us, every, everything he wants to do in our hearts and minds to bring about our sanctification, our equipping, our mission, everything, we're keeping him at bay. And it often also translates into pushing our brothers and sisters away, those who God has commissioned to walk alongside us, to spur us on on this journey together. Everything falls apart when we don't recognize that Jesus not only acquired our salvation, 
but Jesus is the one that preserves it for us. So we need to depend on him for that. We also need to depend on Jesus for right and wrong and wise and unwise. You know, we, again, being an independent culture, we like to follow our own path. We have an idea, we think something is right, something is true, something is important for us, and we just run with it, whether or not God has something to say on the matter. Are we intentional about studying the Bible to develop a Christian worldview? Here's my first question. Are we do we read the scriptures? Are we intentional about studying them to develop a biblical Christian worldview? What do I mean by that? Are we okay with our thoughts just being our thoughts, our ideas being our ideas, our choices being our choices, the way we view the world being the way we view the world? Or do we want God to be able to form within us a filter, a lens through which we see the world through his eyes, through what he has revealed, through the truth that he has given us. And here's the thing, if you don't read this, then more of your ideas about the way the world works are going to be false than true. That's just the way it is. We face ideas every day as we engage other people, as we turn on the TV, as we turn on the radio, as we listen to our podcasts, as we hang out with friends, as we do anything in this world, ideas and thoughts and opinions and, and, and things that are promoted as facts are given to us and they form a worldview. Do we let that out there shape the way we view the world or do we study the scriptures that God may transform our minds and we may view things rightly through what he has revealed in here? We have to depend on him for that, and we have to be intentional. Are we intentional about studying the Bible to discern what is right and wrong? It's amazing to me how fast the world has changed, but what's even more amazing to me is how fast churches are giving in, are just, well, I guess we just accept this now. I know the Bible says this, but culture's changing and we've got to change with it. Wow. If Christianity is just go with the culture, there's really no point in being here. You all should have slept in this morning. God's truths don't change because things in culture changes. But the pressure's on, isn't it? The pressure's on to be accepted. The pressure might be on in very significant ways for churches to comply with just the, the moves of culture, the moves of the society, what's accepted in today's world. But we need to even more now read the Bible to discern what is truly right and what is truly wrong. Do we ask God for wisdom? You know, a lot of times it doesn't come down to right and wrong. There's a lot to be said about right and wrong. But then there's a, this whole area of, well, there's not something distinctly right or distinctly wrong, but I'm still called to be wise instead of foolish in this situation, in that situation, in that situation. Do we trust our own wisdom? Or are we asking God for wisdom? James challenges his readers. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And so we are all called to seek God's wisdom. And I don't know that we do this as often as we should. We often go the wrong way. Sometimes it's because of sin. Sometimes it's because of a lack of wisdom. 
Sometimes because we're still in many ways broken ourselves and living in a broken world, and so our choices are not always the right ones. We can't see straight. We need God to give us wisdom. In fact, this isn't a new thing. Uh, so, uh, Proverbs 14, 12 says this. He says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. You know, we often think of it like this. Oh, those people, if they had just listened to God, they would have done better. You know, or oh, they're just so sinful. They just, they, they want to do their own thing despite what God has to say. I think a lot of times people make poor choices, but when they make those choices, they absolutely believe that it's the right one. So how do we figure out when choices we want to make are right or wrong, wise or unwise, we need to lean into God. Here's what he says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. We need him. We need to be depending on Jesus for right, for wrong, for wise, for unwise. And we also need to, to depend on Jesus for ministry and for mission. We need to rely on Jesus for ministry and for mission. Why are we largely unaware of our spiritual gifts? Why are we largely unaware of where we are called to serve in the church? Could it be because we look inside of ourselves instead of looking to God to see how he made us, how he's gifted us, what perhaps he's calling us to? If we're not currently serving in some capacity, if we're not currently ministering to someone in here and in out there, if we don't know what we're gifted in, why are we not on our knees asking God to reveal that to us right now? Why are we scared to death about sharing the gospel with the lost? I know we're scared to death about it. You know how? We don't have any non-Christians invited this week, last week, the other week. We don't have new believers who've led to Jesus who we're discipling now together as the body of Christ. This isn't happening, not just this week. This has not been happening for a long time. So I know we've got to be scared to death about sharing the gospel because something's keeping us from doing it. Could it be because we're looking inside ourselves for the words, the eloquence, the courage, the ability to persuade Instead of looking to Jesus, who promised that he'd be with us always as we make disciples, even to the very end of the age. Friends, we can't do uh, the things that Jesus calls us to in our life without first depending on him. Because we're not the ones who go and do anything for God. But as we show up, as we make ourselves available, as we're obedient to him, and we recognize that it is him that does the work in us, and he will never disappoint. The things he's called us to will seem unimportant or unattainable if we do not first depend on him. If you don't have an inclination to reach the lost, if you don't have the desire or if you don't think you can, then we need to switch from looking inside to depending on Jesus. If we are not engaging with our brothers and sisters in Christ in ministry, then we have an issue of depending on Jesus because we're probably looking inside and saying, I don't have anything to give. I don't have anything somebody else doesn't have. I'm not all that important. I have nothing to contribute. Instead of looking at Jesus, 
who tells you that he does. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12 is all about this. The church is a body. Every one of us is a part, a significant part. And each one of those parts has been given spiritual gifts for the benefit of the, of the community, of the body. Which means if we're not doing that, then we are failing our brothers and sisters. And we're doing it most likely because of some self-doubt instead of depending on the one who has told you already that he has made you a significant part of the body and has gifted you and you have something to contribute. What would happen if we nurtured our uh, dependence on Jesus? Here's just some things. We would find him dependable. Let's start with that. He is the trustworthy one. I promise you, I will guarantee this to you, that if you trust in Jesus, you will find him dependable every single time. We would have a deeper understanding of who he is and how he works because we'll have seen it in our midst. We will trust him more. Have you ever had to establish trust with somebody? Of course you have. You know, you trust them with a little, they do well, you trust them again, right? Teaching, a, uh, teaching one of your kids to drive your car is like this. <laughs> okay, just in this parking lot, not near other cars. Okay, you're doing all right. We'll get a little closer to that car. All right, we'll go on a real street. Ooh, there's a car coming. Hey, you didn't, he didn't hit him. We didn't die. Now we can go on a bigger road, right? You trust a little, what happens? You're rewarded for that trust, you trust more. It's going to be like that with your... If you're not used to depending on Jesus, it's going to be the same way. But the more you trust in him, the more you depend on him, the more you're going to trust in him because he's going to be faithful every time. And we'll get more excited to trust in him. We're going to get excited about watching him show up and do things that we know could not have happened without him there. And we'll be more fruitful in life and in ministry. The things you want to see in the Christian life. Here's just some of them for me. I want to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. I want to see this place full. Not because I want to steal people from the Baptist church, the Lutheran church, the Methodist church. No, I want to see people who are not Christians come to know Jesus, come here to be discipled, and grow the church that way. That's the way he calls us to grow the church. And you know what? The more we trust, the more we depend on Jesus, the more fruitful we're going to be in that endeavor, in all of the ministry, all of the things he calls us to, in life and here in the church and in this community, the things that you, let's dream. What are the things you'd love to see happen here and in this community because of this church? It can happen if we depend on Jesus. Here's what he says in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We talked about this last week. We need to be intentional about remaining in Jesus. We have to cling to that vine. We have to nurture our life with Jesus. We need to depend on him. Because a branch does not produce fruit. But the vine allows the nutrients and stuff to come up through the branch and produce fruit. Which is why you could break a branch off, throw it on the ground, and watch it wither and die. But if it remains connected, it's fruitful. We need to lean in, trust in Jesus, and nurture that. And we will see the fruit that he intends for us. In our life with Jesus, we must depend on him.